Hello again. So the second Bible reading for tonight, which Bryce will be preaching from, is Psalm 62. So you can follow along on the screen or open up your Bibles because you'll probably be referring to it on page 604 in most of the Bibles in the pews. So we're going to be reading through the whole of Psalm 62. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. How long will you assault a man? Would all of you throw him down, this leaning wall, this tottering fence? They fully intend to topple him from his lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Low-born men are but a breath, the high-born are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together, they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion, or take pride in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. One thing God has spoken, two things have I heard. That you, O God, are strong, and that you, O Lord, are loving. Surely you will reward each person according to what he has done. This is God's word. Thank you, sister. Ooh, feedback. Good evening, Sarah Hills. How are you all? Good. You know, when I heard today that Owen Harris might be becoming an elder of the church, I had a sudden desire to transfer. <laughs> No, Owen's great. Um, I have loved being with you guys the last two weeks. I think I've been out to the Joneses, to the Moody's. I don't know how many dumpling bars so far. <laughs> You've been very welcoming. I really appreciate it. So thank you so much for making me feel so at home. Let's, uh, let's pray and we'll get to work. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the Psalms. Thank you, Lord, that they are intensely practical Thank you, Lord, that they speak to our life issues. God, some of us uh, probably are going through issues right now. And we pray, Lord, I pray that, uh, that your spirit would use this psalm to bring some comfort, some encouragement. And for everyone else, Lord, may it prepare us all for the next uh, season of difficulty in our life. And God, may, may you use all of this to bring yourself more glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Three years ago, I finally got a chance to go to the USA. I got to see Chicago and New York. I got to watch the Bulls play. I got to go to a fire department and turn out with them. A lot of my childhood dreams were fulfilled. But what really struck me when I went to America was how much of a Christian nation that place still is. Right? I, I arrived into Los Angeles and I, I speak to the hotel staff and they all go to church. 
I leave LA and I'm talking to my Uber driver and then it comes out that he goes to church. I arrive in San Francisco, I walk down the street, I see some evangelists and I start talking to one. She's a dentist. She says, do you want your, health, your teeth checked? And I'm like, yeah, I do. And so I did. <laughs> and then I went to the fire station and, and, and after a, a, some time there, the guy says, look, I've got a friend in uh, New York. Do you want to stay with him potentially? And I said, yeah, I do. And it turns out this guy goes to church. And when I went over there, they asked me to pray at their morning tea. It was bizarre. Um, everywhere I went, I met Christians. Even when I arrived in New York airport, the first thing I noticed was a big LED screen and it said, God bless the US troops. Christianity is alive and strong in America. Their banknotes famously say, in God we trust. But the sad irony is that the Americans don't often place their trust in God, or at least not completely. They place a lot of trust in money, a lot of trust in power, in people, not so much in God. And it's that phrase, in God we trust, that I want to drill down into this evening. One of the most practical questions that we can ask ourselves this year is, do I trust in God alone? Some of us uh, place our trust in our friendships. I have enough friends to lean on when my relationship busts. Some place it in our intellect. I've got a sharp enough mind to get myself through exams. Maybe some place it in our relationship. I can handle anything with my boyfriend or girlfriend by my side. And some of us place it in all of those things or more. And for those of us who follow Jesus, I'm pretty confident that we're, that we're all trying to place our, our hope in God alone, but invariably we always divide our trust. Right? The trouble is that all these other things let us down. Right? Relationships let us down. The boyfriend, the girlfriend we date, they're not always there for each other. That's not always a stable thing. Money lets us down. We lose it on the stock market. We lose it in pyramid schemes. Even if we don't lose it, we rarely have enough, or it is rarely enough, to cure us of a sickness or to repair a marriage. Our minds let us down. How many times do we assume we'll remember important dates or get by with that last-minute cramming, only to end up letting someone down or failing an exam? Maybe you're an independent thinker and you're thinking, well, why can't we just trust in nothing? And the simple answer is, it's really impossible to trust in nothing. Even if we choose not to trust in anyone else, we're always going to be placing our trust in something or someone or ourselves. The only choice we get to make is what or who we place the trust in. The author of this psalm, he had more people, more resources, more personal abilities to place that trust in than all of us. He basically had it all. But like many of us, he had to learn the hard way to place his trust in God alone. And in his psalm, we see him finally recognizing that when a major challenge laid ahead of him, he had to trust in God alone. So if we're, this year, if we're to get through those failed subjects, if we're to get through those broken relationships, or all those other challenges that lie ahead of us, we need to get this right. And we need to learn from David to place our trust in God. And here's what David suggests from our text tonight in three parts. We must trust alone in our rock and salvation, verses 1 to 4, by preaching to ourselves, verses 5 to 8, and by believing that nothing else will work, verses 9 to 12. So look back with me to verse 1. Do you notice that David says truly twice? 
Someone once said the most important thing about Psalm 62 is that the, the psalmist is making God his only object of trust. He didn't just have trust in God, he trusted in God only, in God alone. But there's more there. Look at how he relates to God. David finds rest in God. Now it makes me think of that nice feeling when you come home from Engage or any other trip and uh, you get to your, your, your sleep in your own bed and you, it's just full, you, just, you just find comfort, you find peace. And all the random stuff that makes your room, your room is there. God is David's rock. I love the beach. And this makes me think of the rocks on the coastline that are big enough to stand on. And those rocks never really get covered completely or swept away by the waves. And life's a bit like the ocean. We're either standing in the calm, waiting for the next wave of difficulty to hit us, or in the middle of it, tumbling over and over and over and over. But to have a rock to take the edge off those waves so that they're more bearable is an incredible blessing. And that's exactly what David has here. And he's got a fortress. That God is David's fortress. When I think of this language, I think of the movie trilogy, The Lord of the Rings. What a comforting thought to think of God as this ginormous, impenetrable fortress on a mountain that no one can enter, that nothing, where nothing can ultimately harm you. That's what God is for David. And this would have been an incredibly comforting thought. Right? Although his fortress might be a leaning wall, a tottering fence, the enemy can never truly take David away from God. His enemy can never destroy him. Imagine how much more tolerable our challenges in life could be if we could see God in that way. Look back with me to verses 3 and 4 and look at what David's experiencing there. How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down, this leaning wall, this toiling fence? Sure, they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. This was David's struggle. Right? He was in a position of vulnerability. Look at the imagery there. Leaning wall. Think like the Tower of Pisa. It's always on the brink of collapse or a toiling fence. I saw this this morning. There's a fence outside the church here that's just about falling over. It's so unstable. You have a big storm, bang, it falls down. That was him. 2 Samuel 15 says that Absalom was vying for David's throne. And what's shocking about that is that Absalom is David's son. Right? We might get annoyed at our children for disobeying, for making poor life choices. But how much worse would it be to have your own son come at you for your own kingdom? Maybe a modern parallel is James Packer. Imagine when James Packer's a bit older and he has adult sons, and one of them tries to take his whole business, his whole empire, by force. And now imagine he's old, he's weak, he's vulnerable, he's frail, and his son just goes in and ruthlessly takes everything from him. What would that feel like? You're in a position of weakness, and your own son, the one person that you would hope would defend and protect you, turns on you and becomes your enemy. Right, in the heat of the moment, you can imagine the temptation to turn to anything that would release you from that, that fear, that, that, um, that angst. It's so much more comforting to draw upon multiple things, war strategists, wise counselors, than just to have God alone. After all, how do you know that God's going to give you the outcome that you want? And look at how David's enemies are acting towards him in verse 4. With that same confidence that David has towards God, he says this, They only, they surely are bent on toppling David. 
of taking David down from that high kingly position over Israel. And the scary part is they're two-faced. Right? Until now, they've spoken kind words, but inside, they're hating him. I used to be a volunteer firefighter. In every major fire station, you always have a backup uh, power generator in case there's a blackout. It's essential to have that because very often when storms hit or bushfires hit, uh, the power cuts, and that's the very thing that firefighters respond to. And the senior station officer, they rightly never place all their trust in just the power grid. It's too unstable. And so they place some trust in that and some trust in the, in the generator. And often, you know, we, we don't even treat God as a power grid. Like, we're more tempted to see him as the backup generator. We see God as our fail-safe when we've exhausted all these other fail-safes, all these other life supports, I mean, in our life. But God is calling us to just trust him. He doesn't want us to even have a backup option. Just one option, just him. Complete trust in him. You know, and every, every Christian has trust. Every Christian has faith because that's by definition what a Christian must have. That's not the hard part. The hard part is to have trust in God alone. And he had trust in God alone as his rock and salvation, but he did it by preaching to himself. What do I mean? Have a look at verse, uh, verses 5 to 7 there again. So he says, Yes, my soul, for I'm resting God. My hope comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock and my refuge. Now right in the middle of the storm, when David was feeling the weight of the situation, we probably feel that we all would feel, right? A strong urge to turn to people, to turn to our own abilities, to turn to anything that would help. Look at what he does right here. He preaches to his own soul. Fine rest, soul. You don't have to panic. Even though your son, your boy, has turned against you, you can find rest in God. Your hope comes from God, not from your kingdom, not from your abilities, not from your wife. And God is your rock. The, ra- the, 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 the waves are coming. There's a tsunami on its way. But you have God. Stand on God and you won't be swept away. And God is your salvation. Your sins are covered. You can't go to hell. God can't take... Sorry, the enemy can't take you from God and God is your fortress you know, yours might be weak, yours might be under threat, under siege but God's isn't, God's can never be that's an incredible headspace don't you think to be in right in the middle of such a, a scary uh, situation but after preaching to himself he turns to us, he goes from private to public, look what he's saying, he's saying this is for you too people of God right do as I do. Trust in God always. Pour out your hearts to Him. Tell God the deepest worries of your heart because He is your refuge. And maybe there's a lesson for us there too that when we're in the middle of our own problem, when we're, we're consumed by whatever's worrying us, that maybe it would be helpful too to turn outward and to look to others and see what's happening in their life and how we can encourage them. Now, David's situation, it reminds me a lot of my first house fire that I was dispatched to. We were all at the fire station. It was Monday night. It was 7 p.m. Training was about to start, and then the, the gong went off. Mall pumper, mall tanker, trailgun pumper, trailgun tanker, respond to a reported house fire in Hurrigan Road, code 1, which means lights and sirens. In 90 seconds, we all had our coats on, and the, and the trucks were on, out in the road. 
that adrenaline was starting to build. As, I, as, I got, as we got to the top of the hill, you could see this huge black plume of smoke from about four or five streets away. So we knew it was the real thing. As we arrived on scene, there were flames just pouring out of this lounge room. And, and I knew this was going to be real. And my, my, uh, my officer turned around, I was in the back seat, and he said, Boss, getting your breathing apparatus, you're going in. And it's hard to describe what was going through my mind right then. Every firefighter signs up for this, the chance to either save someone's life or uh, stop someone's house from burning down. And I was equal parts, like, you know, packing myself and excited. So myself and my partner went around the back and to do a quick search and put the fire out. We get to the back door, kneeling down, we open the back door open and all this black smoke just pours out. And the, the temperature spikes like you would not believe. We go into the house, we do a quick search, and then I see the glow of the orange. And I move towards it, and then you see flames everywhere in this room. And I just open the branch, my heart pounding, and I'm just putting all the, all the flame out. Now, there is no way I would have been that confident uh, if I didn't have my uh, partner behind me. What made the difference was knowing that the guy behind me was experienced. Right? He'd done it for maybe 10 or 20 years. And, and when, I, when I kneeled down at that door and that smoke was pouring out, part of me wanted to step back and not go in. But I reminded myself, no, you've got John behind you. You've got an experienced firefighter. And that made a world of difference. And in the same way, David was able to endure his situation by re reminding himself that he had God with him. He had God behind him, his rock and his salvation. And so David trusted in God alone, right? He did it by preaching to himself. But here's the final part. He preached to himself believing that nothing else will work. Look at verse 9. Surely the low-born are but a breath. The high-born are but a life. Weighed on a balance, they're nothing. Together they're only a breath. David recognizes what people really are. They aren't God. They're not eternal. Compared to the significance of, and the weightiness of God, they're nothing. Or as Ecclesiastes puts it, they're just vanity. You know, when it comes to his enemies, he saw how powerless they really were. They're just a lie. They're like a delusion. And when it comes to his friends and allies, and this is most important, he could see he, that they couldn't be what he needed them to be. They weren't powerful. They couldn't always help him, be there for him, support him, guide him. Of course they could sometimes that he had to place his trust solely in God alone. Derek Kidner says it so well when he says this, that we have nothing to fear from man, but at the same time, we have nothing to hope from man. I'll say it again. We have nothing to fear from man, but we have nothing to hope from man either. A few days ago, I went to watch Nick Kyrgios play at the Open. Hands up if you've been to the Open this week. No one. Wow. Okay. Hope you know what tennis is. I love watching Nick play. He literally creates his own atmosphere, right? With his powerful serves, his trick shots, his larger-than-life personality. He's a lot of fun to watch. He's great. But as most of us know, he hasn't worked out the things he needs to avoid doing on the court. And the players that made it further than him, they got that far in part because they did. Right? They know that letting their emotions take over will lose in the game. They know that if they get... Uh, if they, they, they get too aggressive in the first set, it's not going to work for them. They know that if they can't go into a game without researching their opponents. I'm sure there's many other things, but you take the point. We need to see the reality of our own situations. Our friends can't get us through. 
Our family can't get us through. And even our spouses can't get us through. It's helpful as these things are, we can't place our trust in them. But sometimes it's not a person. So look at the three things David says there in verses 10. Extortion, robbery, and riches. Here are three things he warns us about. You know, I don't think that we have an issue with extortion maybe and robbery at our church. But who knows, maybe we do find it challenging, tempting, to place some confidence in our wealth. You know, after all, we have decent jobs, we go to decent schools, we come from good families. And just like people, money can vanish. Houses can be lost. We're, we're in a suburb where houses are worth probably two plus million dollars. Who used to say that in five or ten years' time that, that just drops like, a, like, like a, a duck out of water, out of the air? Only Jesus can be our foundation and our confidence. One thing God has spoken. Two things I have heard. Power belongs to you, God, and with you, Lord, is unfailing love. You reward everyone according to what they've done. So he ends with two life lessons. Here they are. One, God is powerful. And two, God is loving. God is strong. He's sovereign over this whole world. And he was sovereign over David's enemies. He didn't need to fear the unstable world around him because God was in control. And God is loving and merciful. He keeps his promises. Even if it's hard to see right in the moment how he's going to do that. So if you know anything about God and the salvation that he's made possible for you in Jesus Christ, then those two attributes should make you rejoice. Just think about this. If God were not both powerful and loving, we would still be enemies of God. Right? If God was, both, was powerful but not loving, then we would all be hell-bound. And it would be fair, but it would be incredibly scary. But if it was the reverse, if God loved us but wasn't powerful, he would want to take us back to himself, reconcile us, save us, but he wouldn't be able to. And the same outcome would still happen. But, but the great thing, guys, is that God is both. Right? His love motivated him to send his only son to die on that thing for our sins, defeating the power of sin. His power enabled him to raise Jesus from the dead so that those of us who have confidence in Jesus can be freed from the power of death as well. So, so when the storms of life roll over us, Psalm 62 says this, you trust in God by preaching to yourself and recognizing that nothing else works. And in doing that, you gain rest for your soul. But what does it look like for us? Some of us might be wrestling mortgage stress. You know, of course, if that's us, we, advise, we take the advice of our financial planners. We take the advice of accountants. But when it comes to sleeping at night, who do we turn to? Maybe some of us are navigating stress in marriage. We're, we're newly married. You know, of course, if that's us, we, we listen to our family, we listen to our trusted friends, a marriage counsellor. But the question is, who is our rock in that moment? Like, is the rock our spouse and we've just lost our rock or the rock's still unstable? Or, or are we turning to now to a friend or to us another support to be our rock? Who's our rock? Maybe some of you are frustrated in being single. And if that's you, it's natural to confide in a friend sharing how frustrating you're finding that, if that's you. Or to look for some of the things that we have in marriage in a friend. But are we treating those God-given friends into something else? Are we placing our trust in them instead of God? Maybe we feel the pressure to do a job or a uni course that we don't want to. We don't know if we want to continue in, in, in this course we're doing. And it's causing a lot of stress. 
It's natural to tell our friends, maybe our mentors. But where's the hope coming from? Are we, are we hoping that our friends will work it out for us? Are we hoping that the career counsellor will give us the answer we're looking for? Or because God is working all things for our good? Now, by now you may be sitting there and you're thinking, this is really tough. And I don't know if I want to do that. And this sounds a lot harder than you make it out to be. But think about this. Don't we want to be able to respond the way David did when everything hit the fan for him? Don't we want to be able to say with David, I won't be shaken? Don't we want to have that real inner rest and peace uh, in the middle of a bad situation? I mean, that's what God is offering for us in Psalm 62. It doesn't mean we can't escape. It doesn't mean that we escape suffering. What it does mean, though, is that in the middle of the, 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 the battle we're going through, God is saying, you can find rest for your soul in me. That's amazing. And do you know the even more amazing thing? The even more amazing thing is that someone went before us who trusted in God alone for his entire life. Jesus never placed his trust in anything else or anyone else. He never divided it. And he did it in part because he knew that you and I couldn't. Right? Because God, Jesus lived the perfect life for us, every time we face a trial and we start placing that trust in someone or something that we shouldn't, there is grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Now maybe this is all new to you and maybe up until now you've lived life placing your trust in everything but God. And today God is inviting you to place that trust in his son. He's inviting you to turn to him, to recognize that he's all you've got. He's your only hope. He's the way forward. But for the rest of us who are in Christ, be encouraged tonight. Be encouraged that there really is a place where you can find a real rest for your soul. There's a place that fits the shape of your trust perfectly in God. And if you're battling with anything tonight, can I encourage you, read through this psalm, pray through this psalm, sing this psalm, and ask God to give you that rest for your soul that David had. Let's pray for it now.